In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was all over the faith of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And that is Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Bridge Radio. And we are coming at you from the great state of Texas. I am your host, A.W. Varilla, and next to me, the president, Steve Den Hartog. What up, what up, what up, everybody? Good to be with you this morning again. Oh, it's great. I, I love that we are having these uh, consistent podcasts now again. It's great, right? Um, we've been Getting just back into the groove. Back into the groove, yes. Um, and, you know, it's been crazy. We're moved into the new location a lot of things just still going on just to get everything going, but we are super excited. And today we're going to be introducing you to a new friend of the Ooh. ministry. Uh, his name is Tommy Daniels. And Tommy Daniels, say hello. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> Tommy has joined Bridge Ministry. Uh, he is going to be... Uh, well, working with us. Uh, working with us, yeah. And uh, we are super excited what he's going to be doing here. Uh, he's going to be engaging the college kids. He's going to be around Bridge, just engaging people. And uh, uh, hopefully maybe join Bridge Institute uh, through uh, Birmingham Theological Seminary. Absolutely. Hopefully, yeah. God willing. We, uh, but uh, we are super excited uh, for Tommy Daniels. And he's going to be joining me more often on the podcast. Um, and we're going to possibly here have a trio and just get a uh, Tommy Tommy on and and see how all this is working but again uh we give glory to God that he continues to bring people to the ministry uh, because we can't do this by ourselves, right? Amen. This work of God is done with the brothers and sisters, and we're super excited to have Tommy with us. So um please, please guys, uh Subscribe to Apple, Android, Google, and Stitcher Radio. And please visit our website at bridgemenlaredo.org. And remember, we're also on Spotify. Today, we have a special guest. We have Daniel Darling. Um, Daniel Darling, uh, in his new book, The Characters of Creation, The Men, Women, Creatures, and Serpents, present at the beginning of the world. So this is going to be an interesting podcast is in, in, in his new book uh, by Moody Publishing. And we're going to be just talking about the, the the beginning of creation and all the things that are in Genesis that sometimes we're just like, what is going on here? The Nephilim. The Nephilim, what right? What exactly were they? <laughs> so that's going to be exciting to have him on. So uh, we... We get to have this discussion and, and see what Daniel uh, is uh, discussing in his new book. Absolutely. And uh, we are super excited to have him. You bet. Anything else? No. All right. Let's do it. Well, why don't we get this podcast started? Daniel Darling is an author, pastor, and leader. He is a director of Land Center for Cultural Engagement at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Dan is a best-selling author of several books, including The Characters of Creation, The Characters of Easter, and The Characters of Christmas. Dan is a columnist of World Magazine and a regular contributor to USA Today. Dan speaks and preaches around the country and is regularly interviewed on radio and television, including S MSNBC, Morning Joe, 
and CNN and Fox. He is the host of a popular podcast, The The Way Home, as well as a weekly show, What Do You Think, with Dan Darling. Dan and his wife, Angela, reside in Texas with their four children. Welcome, Daniel, to Bridge Radio for the first time. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm delighted to be on. I love the ministry that uh, you have here. Well, thank you very much. Uh, you know, we we one of the things that we do that I think is unique to Bridge Ministry is that we bring on authors and interview them on their books, which I know that a lot of people don't do, but it's exciting for us because we are a bookstore. Yes, um, absolutely. Probably one of the only like true bookstores or a few bookstores in South Texas, maybe even Texas. I don't know. I've looked, but we'll see. But um, Daniel, before we begin, can you just uh, uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself and how God drew you to, drew you to saving faith? So that's a great question. You know, um, it really goes back to my uh, my dad. My dad uh, became a Christian when he was in his early twenties, like I think, like twenty years old. The Billy Graham Crusade came to this uh, to Chicago where he lived in 1971. He walked forward, uh, became a Christian, came out of a really you know broken home and dysfunctional. It really changed the trajectory of the family. So um, he he got married, married my mom. My mom's Jewish. She became a Christian, and they raised us in the church. And I, I became a Christian at the age of four. I know sometimes people doubt young conversions, and I think we have to be wise about you know making sure people are truly, our kids are truly converted. But I, I believe I had a salvation experience at the age of four. My mom led me to the, to Christ. And I've always had a love for the church. Hmm. I've always had a love for, uh, I've always felt a call to ministry. I've always felt a call to uh, preach the gospel and to teach and, and lead and preach hmm. and uh, equip God's people. And uh, the Lord's just been kind to me to allow me to do that in a variety of ways through my writing, through speaking. Now I'm teaching here at a seminary. Uh, so uh, it's been a great, you know, the Lord's been good in that way. Wow. wow. Yeah. That's a great story. Yes. At the age of four, that's, uh, yes. that's kind, so you, of, kind of unusual. So, Dana, you were born in Chicago, just like I was? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm a Chicagoan. Yeah, so am I. I just, I just I haven't been down in South Texas that long. So, uh, so where My you... wife is a Texan, though, so I'm, I'm sort of an adopted Texan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you're still a Bears fan, right? I am still a Bears fan, yes. <laughs> Unfortunately. Unfortunately. Long suffering. <laughs> yeah. So, Daniel, going back to your book, um, you, you start out the book with a very lengthy introduction about God as the supreme character in the story of Genesis. And you write this But before we can understand the characters of creation, we must first bow ourselves before the author of creation. God is not just another actor in this drama a figure we mold and massage into a deity of our liking. Instead, the Bible opens by describing the formation of the world as an act that begins with the one who had no beginning, who is always there. So, Daniel, why was this chapter so important to you, and why do you encourage folks to read it before they read about the characters of creation? You know, it's interesting. I wrestled with this because... You know, this is the third in this character series, characters of Christmas, characters of crea- uh, Easter, and now characters mm-hmm. of creation. And I was really excited about writing about the about Genesis, uh, one of my favorite books. And um, But, you know, I didn't want to portray God as just one of the other characters. I So this is why I did this lengthy introduction 
because really the story of Genesis, it opens with who God is. Hmm. Um, and you know, the Bible doesn't begin with who we are or who we think, you know, who we think God is. It begins with, um, the declaration that in the beginning, God, I think that's important for us. Yeah. Sometimes in, in our uh, sort of Western, um, Christianity, we can domesticate God mm-hmm. in, in the sense that uh, we forget and we lose his transcendence. Um, you know, if I heard a, a seminary professor say one time, and I think it's true that when Jesus came, you know, it was it was the opposite thing that they couldn't they couldn't fathom the idea of God in the flesh, mm. of God among them as a human being. It was it was just hard for them to comprehend. Uh, God, who you could touch, in, 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 who was incarnated in Jesus. Um, I think we have the opposite problem that we we like to create God in our own image. You know, uh, the God that we 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 worship looks strangely like the the man in the mirror, and we have we have um, brought him down to our level. And I think we need to capture, especially as as pastors, as the church, the transcendence of a holy God that we're worshiping a holy God. Yeah. And this is how, how the Bible, how Genesis begins. And yet this is a God who speaks and he speaks to us. Um, we don't have to wonder what he's saying. We don't have to, like other religions, wonder how, how we can get right with God. He speaks. And, and this is why I think Genesis really is, is such an important book to understand. Yeah. I'm reminded of Calvin as he starts out his in- institutes, talks about uh, in order to have a proper understanding of who we are, we must first have a proper understanding of who God is. And so Absolutely. Setting that stage is super important. Yeah, it's really important for us to to understand that God is other than us. And yeah. I try to make uh-huh. that case in this chapter that um, we are finite creatures and God is infinite. God is, uh, you know, he's other than us. And I, I, I think there's a comfort there. And I, and I try to write about that in the opening passage that... Ultimately, our deepest longings, we want a God who is who is all-powerful, who's yeah. all-knowing, who's Amen. sovereign. Yeah. We don't want a God like us. Hmm. Um, we want a God who's different than us. Uh, and that's we wanted to know that when I put my head on the pillow, when I send my kids out into the world, when the, you know, when I look around at the, the state of the world, that there's a God who's in charge, who's who's got a story, who's gathering all things to himself. Yeah, you know? amen. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> that that is the God that I want, you know, and 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 that is great. So, uh, Daniel, most people read God calls Adam. Where are you? As God is catching Adam, but do you see this as an act of grace of God towards Adam, and by extension, can you just a little bit? Can you explain that just a little bit, please? Yeah, you know, I've read Genesis my whole life. Mm. Um, and, but when I was studying it this time, it really struck me that, um, when Adam, after the fall, Adam and Eve, it says are naked and they're ashamed. They're trying to cover and hide. You know, this is, this is the reaction we take when we, when we sin, right? We try to hide because we have shame, um, of what we've done. And God comes you know, God's response is not to, uh, I mean, his response is one of grace. When we read God saying, uh, Adam, where are you? This is not God wondering where Adam is, right? Uh, he knows where Adam is. Yeah. It's not God wondering what Adam did. 
Um, Adam is caught in his sin. These are words of grace. Mm-hmm. These are God pursuing Adam. And in some ways, this is the story of all of our lives. You know, where are you? Um, and we could all mark that time that God pursued us. He came after us. And for some of us, it was for me, I was a, a young child. For others, it's a dramatic conversion, whether it's in a dorm room or like my dad walking for a Billy Graham uh, crusade or or someone who's, you know, hung over the next day and at, their, at the end of themselves. God pursues us this way. This is God saying, Adam, I see you. I see you in your sin. I see you in your ugliness and your shame. And I still love you. And obviously this initiates God's declaring that, you know, the world is cursed, that Adam is in sin, that sin brings forth death, but also that there's a plan of redemption. And really you could say uh, God saying, where are you? is really the story of Christianity. It's a story of the scriptures. I mean, this is what makes Christianity distinct from other religions is that we have a God who pursues us in Christianity. Do you think that, that us as Christians just sometimes have a hard time grasping that, that God knows where we are, mm-hmm. that he knows, he knows us, he knows us so, he knows us better than we do because he created us. And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I know that I've, I've struggled, like, you know me, you know, like I'm not, I'm not informing God of anything about myself. He knows where I'm at. He knows who I am. And, and, and I, and, and I know that Christians sometimes struggle with that and understanding that, I guess. I think we do. Um, I think the most important thing is to understand that we're known by God and God knows our name, Hmm. that in Christ, we have been reconciled to God, to the God who created us, who fashioned us. We've been reconciled to our creator through, through Jesus, that God initiated uh, the plan. You know, God saying, where are you? means God is initiating a plan, initiated a plan to be reconciled to his uh, creatures. Mm. And that, that is the gospel. And I think it's important today because so many, so many people struggle with identity. Mm. I think, um, social media actually gives us, gives us, um, the opportunity to sort of try to craft our own identity. You know, we know the real versions of ourselves. So we try to craft a version of ourselves digitally or online that we feel will find the most acceptance. And maybe people will like me if they think that I'm, I'm, tough or courageous this way, or I'm perfectly manicured this way, or if my family's intact this way. But, you know, we go home and we see our limitations and our flaws. Mm. We see the real person. And sometimes we're ashamed. We're like Adam and Eve. We want to cover ourselves because we're so ashamed. Mm. God sees the real version of us. And if we are in Christ, he sees the real version and he loves that version. Mm. Now, God knows everything we do and everything we think. And he still loves us. That's that's what's incredible, I think. Yeah, amen. Uh, so, Daniel, a lot of scholars, even some evangelicals, doubt whether or not Adam was a real person. And I know that we've been hearing that a lot. But, uh, but you go into great length in your book to make an argument that has to be what has has to be why why is this important that there was a real Adam? Well, I think it's really important for a number of reasons. You know scholars there's a lot about genesis that christians have debated throughout the ages right Mm. and so good christians disagree maybe on exactly how old the earth is um you know how how that goes and i I think good faithful christians can disagree on that yes um but there's some things that have to be true 
And one of the things I, I believe has to be true is that Adam and Eve are real people yeah. for a number of reasons. I think number one, Jesus in the Gospels assumes that Adam is a real person. Yes. He refers to Adam. And Paul in his letters talks to Adam, you know, he talks about by one man sin entered the world. He's assuming that Adam is a real person. Uh, he says to the on Mars Hill in Acts 17, by one man, you know, all humans came by one man. So I think if Adam and Paul believe Adam and Eve are real people, if it's good enough for them, I don't think we know more than they do. Yeah. Uh, you think Paul, Paul is a, was a Hebrew scholar. And I think it also is just important because for the whole storyline of Scripture to work. Uh, and, and I find it actually comforting to know that uh, we all came the human race all originated in one couple. Mm. It means that we're more alike than we realize. Yeah. Uh, we're more alike than we're different. Um, I think in a fallen world, we're tempted to, to, uh, toward racism. We're tempted towards to see our particular ethnicity better than someone else's. But the Bible doesn't let us do that because Mm. it says all human beings came from this initial couple and, um, we're made in the image of God and we have worth and dignity. And, it's this mosaic of different uh, nation, tribes, and tongues that we see in the end of the book of Revelation that forms the fullest expression of the image of God. So I, I think it's really important for us to believe that Adam and Eve are real. And I know it confounds scientists and all of that, but man, if if we can believe that Jesus rose from the dead, if we can believe that, um, uh, you know, that God could part the Red Sea, I think we can believe that he started the world with this couple. And um, uh, if it's good enough for Paul and for Jesus, it's good enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. And, you know, when I think of Adam, I think of Romans 5 and the importance of, you know, in the historical Adam, we die, right? But Romans 5 also says yeah. in the historical Jesus, like we live. And so the importance that Adam has to be real because in him we die, right? We have this fallen flesh. Yes. But in Christ we live. Absolutely. And so he has to be historical. Um so if Adam was the first human being, you ask readers to wonder what it must have been like to wake up as the first human in history. How do you imagine this would be like? You know, I think about this a lot, that um, what would it be like to be that first human being? You know, you don't have a template. You don't have a father to show you what it's like to be a man. You don't have siblings. You don't have other people. You know, you're the first one when he first opened his eyes and he's in this beautiful creation and just trying to think through who am I and his born into innocence, walking with God in the cool of the day. What what a unique experience. The Bible does say that pause, you know, God, uh, Genesis pauses the narration and says it's not good that humans are alone. So it makes a statement that we were born for community. Um, but Adam had a unique experience in that he he saw both sides of the, of the fall hmm. created in innocence. He saw what Eden was meant to be. He saw what Eden was created to be. He saw what the world was created to be. Then he also saw the, the results of the fall. And he lived, you know, if you live for 900 years, the Bible said he saw the kind of cascading effect of sin in the world. And imagine Adam having to bear the weight of, because of my sin, you know, future generations are plunged into sin and death and what that must've, been like that crushing burden and yet in some ways all of us feel that all of us feel the weight of our sin mm-hmm. all of us feel like because of my sin because of our deci- my decisions other people suffer and yet we can come to the second adam who bears that weight for us so 
the first Adam didn't have to bear the weight of his sin because Jesus came as the second Adam and he bore the weight of that sin and he took the punishment of God and because of his triumphant resurrection, he's defeated sin and death in the grave and he's restoring and renewing the world. And so I think Adam has such a unique perspective that way. Yeah, absolutely. And and I, and like you said, I when I was reading Romans and just finding comfort in the truth that we were guilty through one man, we were also saved through one man, uh, as you just mm-hmm. said earlier. And 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 I, how can I how can I ever take credit for anything that our Lord Jesus has done for us on the cross? For sure. Um, now moving on. Um, in the chapter on Eve, Daniel, uh, you write about temptation because Adam and Eve sin. We live with this lie embedded in our hearts, embedded in the world around us. Uh, the advice that tells us to just follow our hearts, right? That's what we hear the Disney model all over the place to throw off our shackles off God's good design. As a result, so many sons and daughters of Eve lived enslaved to desire what is this lie that is embedded in our hearts? Well, the uh, you know the lie is the whisper that the serpent made to Eve is that um, first of all was that God, who your father who created you in innocence and beauty, who gave you this beautiful garden to cultivate, who gave you everything, that he's somehow holding out on you, that. He's not an actually good father. It's interesting in Romans, he talks about how the, the the sin of ingratitude and how this this whole thing started with ingratitude. I really think that's true. That Satan gets us to think that God is maybe maybe God isn't good enough. Maybe maybe he's holding out. Um, and the lie says that um, in order to really fully experience life, you have to sin, right? Uh, to to know good and evil, you have to experience it. But there's a kind of knowing that um, is harmful and uh, dangerous for us. Uh, James says that sin brings forth death. And what's interesting about the way that the serpent tempted Eve and the way he tempts us, tempts us to be more than we were created to be. Hmm. Uh, You can be like God. The truth is we were created to reflect God. Hmm. We were created with limits. As creatures, we have limits. Um, But the serpent said, well, you could be all-knowing. You could be just like God. And in reaching to be to be like God, we actually become less than human hmm. because Eve was supposed to have dominion over the animal kingdom. Hmm. And here she is taking orders from an animal, a serpent. And is it, at, at the end of the the Bible in Revelation, evil is kind of depicted as, a, as an animal, as a dragon. And so in, in, when we sin, people say sometimes when, when people sin, well, they're, they're only human. Well, actually, sin is not Sin is a distortion of our humanity. Hmm. It makes us less than human. It it makes us a- almost animalistic, and so I think that's one of the lies that uh, that the serpent gave to Eve, and uh, that that you can be more than you were created to be. Look, we we're created as as creatures with limits to worship and reflect God, and when we try to be more than that, that's that's where we sin, and that and sin brings forth death. And I think minimizing sin. You know, when we look around at an evil world, you think of the horrible shooting in in San Antonio of that school. How could how could anybody do that? Or you think of Russia bombing a kindergarten yesterday in Ukraine. Or you think of um, things like abortion, things like racism, things like you know human trafficking. 
How in the world could anybody do that? Well, this is what sin has brought into the world. Sin brings forth death. Sin has marbled its way into the human experience so much so that we turn in on one another. This is what sin has wrought. Uh, it's not something to be trifled with. Sometimes we talk about sin like like it's almost fun, you know, like uh, sinfully delicious chocolate or something like that. Mm. But sin is is the reason we're in this state. Yet the Bible also has a solution for it. This is what I love about Genesis. It not only diagnoses our condition, but it says there's something coming, there's someone coming that's going to make the world as it should be and make the world right again. And and, and that's pretty that's pretty amazing. The Bible in Genesis gives us the rescue plan because of the fall mm. of man. And um and yeah, and 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 I always find interesting when I read Genesis where where the serpent the serpent is so crafty, right? That where you know you've heard this before, you know, God has put a period He's like, you shall not eat of this tree, right? And the serpent comes in. He's like, are you sure? You know, putting that question mark. It's hmm. like, are you sure you can't eat from that? You know, the the the, the fruit of the tree of uh, uh, good and evil. You know, and and I and I think even like you just said earlier, just sin is just so deceiving, and can sneak up on us, and if we're not careful, you know, can just cause a, a ton of damage. Our, our fallen nature likes to go outside of God's design. And I love that's what and Sarah mentioned in the last podcast is that um, when we go <clears throat> outside of God's design, you know, it harms us. And, and that's what we have to talk about. Like, why did good God design that we have dominion over the earth? Why did God design for sex to be inside marriage? And it's for our best. It's for our benefit. You know, it's not to keep us from having fun or whatever, but it's God's design and stressing that why of it. So, Eve is both the one who was deceived and the mother of all living. You write that through the woman, God's promise of redemption was delivered. Explain why this matters. Well, it matters because uh, not only, um, as I said, not only does the Bible diagnose what is really wrong with us, what is really wrong with the world, but also where do we go and what can fix it? And um, in Genesis 3.15 what's, you know, theologians call the proto-evangelion, you know, the the first announcement of the good news, you have this sort of prediction that there's going to be this violent struggle between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. But obviously the seed of the woman would crush the serpent. Um, and and again, I find, I find this Genesis so important today. It's comforting today in a troubled world. I go back to this every time, whether it was during COVID, whether it's during a mass shooting, whether it's during racial tensions or war. And, you know, everybody is, I think everybody understands, no, everybody understands the world is not as it should be. I don't mm. think anyone looks around and says, yeah, everything's just how it should be. Yeah. Everybody understands that we as human beings, there's something wrong with us, that they're, even the best of us have dark spots in our lives that um, we we wish people didn't see and everybody wants to make the world better, right? That's why people get involved in politics. That's why they vote. That's why they become part of movements. They understand the world is not as it should be. They want to make it right again. But you know, how are we doing at that project? I mean, even, even the greatest movements, even the greatest country like the United States has deep pockets of injustice and deep issues and problems. And so the Bible says that humans can't fix this on their own, that God has to, that God has to, to do this. And this is the plan of, of Jesus to, to come, God's plan to send his son, 
who was human and divine to come and uh, rescue his humanity, uh, rescue humanity uh, from sin. He not only saves us, but he's saving the world. You know, I think this is why I think Genesis is so important for us Mm -hmm. to understand as Christians, but even to a world that's really confused. um, It's, it's a message of hope. And, and, and a world that wants to seek out a, a a place where, right. There's a utopia, right. Everybody wants Mm. to, Everybody thinks that they can get to this perfect world by, you know, doing this, doing that, enact laws. You know, if we can, if we throw more money at this, if we do this and we do that, everything is going to be better. And in reality, it won't um, because we live in a fallen world and people don't see that. They think that they can go ahead and make it better. And outside of Christ, it it, it won't be anyways, because we still, you know, he hasn't returned and uh, the, the, this world is fallen, you know. It really is. And, you know, this is why I think Christians really need to study Genesis. I think sometimes mm. we get bogged down a little bit on the, the age of the earth and you know, how old is it? And I think those are important battles. And, and I think good Christians should really think through that. But really what the thrust of Genesis is that in the beginning, God, the thrust of it is to, to diagnose the human condition and to also offer what the Bible says is um, – you know, the hope for the world in Christ. And I think if you understand Genesis, it helps you understand the rest of the Bible, right? You, if you understand Genesis, you can see where the Bible is going with this, with the story. Um, so that's why I was excited to, to write it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, we were just speaking about Adam. Uh, we were speaking about Eve. We went from Adam, Eve. Now, let's talk about Cain and Abel. You give a chapter both to Cain and Abel. You even see in Cain's story example of God's grace and yet Cain's rejection of grace, why is Cain such a warning about the dangers of self-worship? I love that. Well, he, he, he really is. He, mm. You know, the contrast between Cain and Abel is so stark that yeah. Abel obeys God, brings a sacrifice. Cain brings the fruits of his hands. Um, and we don't know everything that was going on in terms of before that. The Bible is silent on. But obviously there was a... a uh, something that God required for a sacrifice, mm. you know, and I think you see early hints of this idea that um, uh, innocent blood has to be shed to cover mm. sin, right? He, he does that with the clothes for Adam and Eve. Now you see that with Abel's sacrifice, but clearly God accepted Abel's sacrifice and rejected Cain's. But if you look at Cain's life, it's really a sad story because all along his life, God was pursuing him and he was, he was, he was rejecting him you know, God in, in many ways where he was hardening his heart. You know, at first he rejects Cain's sacrifice and then he warns Cain that sin lies at the door. You know, that's, that's an act of grace. When God issues warnings, hmm. those are acts of grace. He's saying, Cain, there's something here you have to deal with. He didn't deal with it. His anger and resentment toward God manifested in him killing his brother. And this is always what happens in, hmm. with, with violence. When we strike out in violence against a fellow human being, we're actually striking out against God because humans are image bearers of God and try to hide his sin. God clearly saw his sin. But again, you see like with Adam, God pursues Cain and says, what are you doing? You know, the blood of your brother cries to me from the ground, which tells us that God sees every drop of innocent blood. Nothing is covered. Nothing is hidden. Uh, and yet he says to he offers Cain another opportunity for grace, but instead of repentance, um, Cain c- continues to um, just self-justify. What are you- and yet God God doesn't strike him dead on the spot. God mm-hmm. puts a mark on him, 
in a sense, protects him for the rest of his life. Even as he, even geographically, the text says he moves farther and farther away from his family, farther and farther away from God. Um, and I think Cain is a sign in many ways of common grace. And we talk mm. about that in the book. But this idea of common grace is that God even offers protection for those who don't believe in him. Mm. You think of, you know, the, the sun comes up every day, uh, the earth rotates, all that. People enjoy God's creative blessings, even if they don't acknowledge him. And that, that's kind of what we see with Cain. What do you, just as just kind of outside the scope, why bring fruits? Like, what do you think is happening there? I mean, I know the Bible is not clear, but what are your thoughts? I'm just curious. It just came in my head right now. Well, there's a lot of speculation about that. And I think, you know, I don't know. I, I think to me, it was, it was obviously, it's clear that it was a clear willful intention hmm. to violate what God had said. And I think it's a matter of disobedience where God, you know, Abel brought the simple sacrifice. What Cain brought was much more beautiful, by the way. Yeah. I mean, the fruits, and he probably worked incredibly hard on the fruits and the, the flowers and everything was probably a, a beautiful sight to see hmm. compared to a dead animal. Yeah. Um, Interesting. I think in some ways it's emblematic of religion where, hmm. you know, sometimes we say, I don't want to choose the way of repentance. I don't want to choose the way of Christ. I'd rather work my work myself into God's favor, mm. but with all these beautiful and wonderful acts and God rejected it. Uh, mm. uh, what, what does Samuel say later to Saul? Obedience is better than sacrifice. I mean, yeah, you know, relig most religions of the world talk about humans reaching God with their beauty and their works and their self justification. That's what Cain was doing. And Abel is, is coming by simple faith. Can I bring in a Indiana Jones reference here from the last? Please. <laughs> so, do you? If you haven't seen the movie, but I'm sure you have. And uh, well, you're a little younger, so you just go and watch it. But uh, I can never forget the scene where, at the end of Indiana Jones: The Last Crusade, they're looking for the chalice, right? And I don't mm -hmm. know if you remember. And the the Nazis are looking for the most beautiful thing because they think that. That's what God would create this beautiful chalice with all the stones and gems and you know, and and, and, and everything else. But uh, but then Indiana Jones picks the ugliest, um, uh, most unrecognizable like chalice that you could like. It looks just like some little kid make made it. And I find it interesting just going back what you just said that um, how religion is. We think that. I'm sure in Cade's like, well, these all these fruits here look a lot better than that nasty blood of sacrifice. Why would God want that? You know, and and I oh yeah, and 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 it, it, and it's just interesting to me how you just pointed that out because it, we think we and know when better. you read the text, you know, it doesn't say this, but it, it, it's it's very much implied that this was a willful act on Cain's part. Yeah. That they he knew what God required. He knew the he knew the pathway to to um, repentance and faith in God, and he chose to. He said, oh, "I want to do it this way." And and very much there's a lot of people today that say the same thing. You know, Jesus says, John fourteen six, "I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me." That Jesus is the only pathway to God. Now it's open to everyone who believes. Yeah, but there's only one pathway. People say, "No, I don't want that. That's too." Uh, uh, you know, that's too exclusive. 
I want to come my own way. I want to come mm. with this religion or that religion or this religion. And it may be beautiful to, to, to the human eye, yeah. but it's not the way that God is required to come through his son. And I think that's what we see with Cain. And let me just park it here just, a, just one more minute because he gets angry at God. We see that in Genesis chapter 4. But then he can't do anything about that. So he re, he redirects that anger to his brother Abel who didn't do anything towards him. Right? Like he was just being obedient. I find that really interesting though. How, you know, it's like, why am I going to kill, you know? Well, I think that is because, um, you know, quite often uh, the righteous, the unrighteous will lash out at the righteous, not because of them per se, but because of there's a sort of, they're convicted of their sin. Mm. And and they see, he's, you know, he, he saw that God had accepted Abel's sacrifice. And I think this is why you see, you know, I think Abel's the first martyr in, yes. in human history. Yeah. And Christians are not necessarily killed for their faith because of them per se. They're killed because people are lashing out at God and mm-hmm. they don't want to accept mm-hmm. the way of God. And the closest way to the easiest way, the closest way to lash out at God is to lash out one of his image bearers. Mm-hmm. You know, the, we're, image bearers are the closest in proximity. And that's really what's happening. Wow, that's great. Um, so let's move on forward here. Um, Abel, you describe as the world's first martyr. You just said that right now. Uh, mm-hmm. Hebrews laws him as a hero of faith. What can we learn from his short life? I, I know you just explained a little bit what we can learn, but can we just expound a little bit on that a little bit more? Well, I love how Hebrews says that even though Abel is that, that Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. What a powerful mm-hmm. statement! Yeah. Um, and the writer of Hebrews mentions that, and I think what we learn from him, number one, is. Um, that uh, the power of obedience, the power of faithfulness, that sometimes faithfulness will, you know, you see in scripture, sometimes faithfulness will get you a lot of success in this life, wealth and you know, Abraham, Job, all that. Sometimes it, faithfulness to God means a short life. It means you're martyred for your faith. Mm. But, um, you know, he had a short but meaningful life yeah. uh, of obedience to God. His life was um, marked by faithfulness. Uh, repentance that he came to God on God's on the terms that God laid out yeah. as opposed to Cain who comes to God on the terms that Cain lays out. And so I think that the answer for us is, is faithfulness and, yeah. and you know, the kingdom of God mostly moves along and around with people who are ordinary Christians whom the world will never know yeah. who put their yes on the table mm. and say, I want to follow God. People who don't have books and they don't have podcasts and they don't have <laughs> speaking engagements. Yeah. They, they, they're just ordinary people that God sees, you know, God, nobody else saw Abel, but God saw Abel yeah. and his innocent blood still speaks today. Uh, and it speaks today in the sense that it points to Jesus. It points to, to the way of salvation. It also points as an example of, of faithfulness. I mean, I, I can't prove this, of course, but I think those people that you just mentioned, they're going to have the biggest rewards in heaven. But that's just mm. that's just me. You know, I don't know. I'm not God. But absolutely. I, 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 I believe that they they will. Um, now, uh, let's move forward here because we're going to uh, land a plane here soon, uh, Daniel. Um, one of the great mysteries of the Bible, well, of course, we cannot miss this about the Nephilim. You know, I'm sure we've I, I've heard just 
uh, wild ideas of who the Nephilim were. But uh, what are we to make of this story of the sons of God coming to the children of men and what some think to be superhuman creature? Because there's a lot there, right? I mean, there's a lot of just strange things that we would just see there in, in, with a Nephilim. Yeah, it's it, it's one of the most peculiar passages in Scripture, mm. Genesis six. There, and Christians have wondered about this for all of church history. Mm. Uh, I probably studied this more than anything else because I was like, well, you know, I want to get this right. What, what is going on here? So I I I studied some of the church, early church fathers. Mm. They believed. So there's there's essentially two schools of thought among Christians. Mm. One school of thought is that. When the Bible says sons of the sons of men came into the daughters, the sons of God came to the daughters of men, it's talking about figuratively. Sometimes sons of God is used to to talk about the righteous, you know. So it's talking about the righteous line of Seth and the the sort of unrighteous line of Cain, and those those two mixed, and sin got so bad that God had to judge the world. Hmm. Um, another school of thought says that the sons of God actually refers to angels and sin. It was such an evil world that angels and humans cohabitated and created these sort of half-human, half-angel, like, Nephilim. Um, so the early church fathers thought that it was angels and humans and these sort of, like, supernatural monster people. Um, the reformers, Calvin, Luther, they said, no, it's it's that's not possible. It's not that. When you go to the modern era, you know, good pastors, preachers are split. You know, I read... Yeah, listen to sermons by people like Al Mohler, Kevin Young, Al Strabag. I was just like, listen to everybody. And people are split on it, really. Mm. Um, I don't know where I land. On the one hand, you know, if you read it literally and you look in Jude and Second Peter, which refer to this, it's hard not to see that it it might be referring to angels and humans cohabitating, mm-hmm. which seems impossible. But then there's another part of me that says maybe it is this sort of symbolic thing. I think what we can learn from it is two things. I think number one, that uh, the world had gotten so out of hand, evil had gotten so bad in a few generations that God, mm-hmm. you know, that it was, it was so sensual and so deviant. Um, and then I think the second lesson is that there is a supernatural aspect to our, there is a spiritual warfare aspect to to what is going on in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, we tend in the modern world not to be able to even comprehend like things like angels and demons and yeah, spiritual yeah. warfare. Yeah. But really, Paul says we don't fight flesh and blood. We fight principalities and powers. There's spiritual warfare going yeah. on in the world. And I think that's one of the lessons that uh, that is there. But I don't really know if, if these Nephilim are like crazy rock monsters or if they're just giants or whatever because they do show up later. But it, it's really a fascinating passage. Yeah, somebody I heard said that they were that they were uh angels angels that possess men uh Mm. human men have you heard that before and then they had yeah i mean that's i've heard that theory too i mean it's very possible i mean i I think the one thing we don't want to do is sometimes in the modern era is to say if it's if it's supernatural it can't be true we have to be rational about this i mean look we live in a spiritual world, a supernatural world. So there's all kinds of things that we might not even understand about the nature of spiritual warfare. So Excellent. on the other hand, you know, we, we don't really know. I think the important thing is that the world had gotten so evil and so wicked that God had to judge the world. Yeah, absolutely. 
either way it's outside of god's design right for creation and so yeah. when we think yes. of great men and women of the faith we think about people who are convicted to stay within within god's design for humanity right and in his ways of living mm-hmm. and so um and they also don't cave into the peer pressure and so you describe the faith of noah who unlike his contemporaries followed god we forget or we forgot how hard this must have been day after day obeying god enduring mockery etc could you expound on that a little bit yeah, I mean, when we think about Noah and Noah's Ark, it's funny because our nurseries are decorated Noah's Ark, and, and it's really cool. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, this this talks about a really tough, uh, difficult time in the world and mm. God's violent judgment against sin. And um, But think of Noah being the only righteous person, mm. um, him and his family. Everyone else is engaging in, in all the sensuality and wickedness of the world. He's the one saying, no, this is not right. I'm going to follow God. Um, And then he's given this call of God to build an ark, that God's going to flood the world. Think about this. He got the revelation from God, but he had to go tell his wife and his family. Mm. They followed him. But but then he's sharing this with the rest of his neighbors, and they think he's crazy. Mm. And and he is faithful, even though the culture's against him. Everyone's against me, saying God's judgment is coming. You better get right with God. You better get to safety. I'm building this. Um, it's not unlike our, our world now where as Christians, the warning that God is judging the world is set off against um, a culture that doesn't want to hear that. We seem crazy to say, oh yeah, God, mm. Jesus is coming again. He's going to judge the world. You better get right with God through Christ. I mean, that's crazy. Why would you say that? Um, the other thing about Noah that I just really struck me is that he had to build that ark, but it, you know, he built it one one board, one nail at a time. Mm. You know, it wasn't it, his life was not about one big thing. It was about faithfulness over a long period of time. If he's building it for a hundred years and preaching for a hundred years, that's day after day faithfulness, getting out of bed, going to do this hard task that God called you to do that nobody understands and nobody thinks is right. Everyone thinks you're crazy and staying with it and doing it for Oh, that long. I think he's just an example of faithfulness over and against a culture that doesn't want to hear the truth. I think we need some of that courage today as Christians. We're so easy to to sort of want to be liked by the world, and we shouldn't be intentionally provocative. We should be kind and all that, but, you know, the gospel has hard edges, and sometimes yeah. believing the gospel means we're going to be at odds with the prevailing culture. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I was I was just telling a, a young man at the other the other day, uh, it might have been it might have been Tommy. I don't think so, but uh, I would I I don't growing up as a kid in this age, a teenager in this age, like I'm, I'm like man, you guys got to deal with a lot, especially just with social media and all the information that we're being bombarded every day at at, 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 at um, from from a device from our phone, you know that you just get and all the stuff bad stuff that's in there but you know we we trust god for sure um well daniel this podcast (laughs) went really quick um and but before we um land this plane romans 10 14 says how would they call on him who they've not believed and how would they believe in him who they've not heard and how would they hear without a preacher can you share with us today the gospel to our worldwide audience Man, I would love to. And this is what I'd like to say to people is that even if you don't believe the story of Christianity, please hear it out and hear the full story. Mm -hmm. Because even if you don't believe it, you'll wish it was true. 
because the Bible tells us that um, the world was once good. It was created in innocence and beauty, and something happened, you know, uh, to the world. And I think all of us would agree that the world's not as it should be. I think all of us would agree that we're not as we should be, that we're not um, – we have areas of our lives that we, we, we wish we didn't have. Mm. Um, the Bible calls that sin. It says at one point sin came into the world and, and distorted everything. It marveled its way into the human experience. It, um, it even distorted the planet and the cosmos is why we have natural disasters and all these things. But it also says that um, God is in the business of renewing and restoring the world that, that, um, and renewing and restoring human hearts. And that is through the person of Jesus, that God sent his son who's fully human and fully divine into the world to take on human flesh um, and to live a perfect sinless life. And he, he was unjustly crucified, uh, 2000 years ago, he went to the cross and, and, and Christians believe that it was not just an execution. It was not just an unjust trial, but in that moment, he was taking on all the sins of the world, all the most heinous crimes, all the, all the injustice. He's taking our sin, the things that we should, that a, a righteous God would rightfully judge us for. And he took those on himself and uh, satisfied God's anger against sin, and he said it is finished. And then three days later, he rose again from the grave. He defeated sin and death in the grave. So all the things that we hate, all the horrible things in the world he defeated. But not only that, he offers you and me uh, reconciliation with the creator who created us, the one who lovingly formed us with his hands, who knit us in our mother's womb. He offers us the opportunity to know God personally. To, to be reconciled to the one who made us. And all of us instinctively have that longing to, to know our Father, to, to be known by God. Mm-hmm. And we can do that by putting our simple faith and trust in Christ, that if we believe that Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection is enough for our sin, if we believe in, in the gospel, we repent of our sins and turn from our, our try, like Cain trying to earn our own salvation, from having our own righteousness. If we turn from that and turn toward Christ, God gives us salvation. And we're joined into this new wonderful family of God into the body of Christ. And we are guaranteed a home in heaven forever. So that's really the gospel in a nutshell. Amen. Well, thank Amen. you for that. So uh, ladies and gentlemen, please, please go get the book, The Characters of Creation. It's the latest in the character series uh, by Daniel Darling. Um Daniel, where can our listeners find you if you want to be found? I say that all the time. So where can they find you? Social media, Twitter, uh, Facebook, where, where can they find you <laughs> if you want to be found? Well, you can follow me on Twitter if you if you could put up with all my hot takes and my sports you know, <laughs> takes uh, at, at Dan Darling. You go to my website, DanielDarling.com, and I have all my books there and you could sign up for my newsletter there. I have a podcast, all that kind of stuff. Um, so those two things. Well, Daniel, thank you very much for coming on Bridge Radio. Uh, we would love to have you back in the future whenever you're available. And, uh, yeah, and we're really, really, really excited to have you on, and it's been our pleasure. Thank you very much, Daniel. Well, thank you, and I love the work you guys are doing and love to be a part of it anyway. Uh, God is really using you there uh, on the border. Oh, well, thank you very much. Well, you have a good day. All right. Thank you. 
Well, ladies and gentlemen, this concludes this week's episode with Daniel Darling on his latest book, The uh, Characters of Creation, the latest in the character series, uh, The Men and Women and Creatures and Serpents Present at the Beginning of the World by Moody Publisher. Uh, TD, what did you think about the podcast today? Yeah, I, th- I think it's a good reminder that God is the creator and I am not. And yeah. he designed things for a reason and, and the importance of the historical Adam. I think that's often overlooked. Um, and so just being reminded that he's creator, I am not, and that he designed things for a reason. And every historical character we see in the Bible is placed there for a reason. Um, Cain and Abel, um, Adam and Eve, etc., etc. And we can see the gospel story and redemption all the way back from Genesis 1, um, which is a beautiful thing. Yeah the the proto euangelion as we see in genesis for sure and man i i i don't know how we cannot believe in a literal adam in a literal creation i mean you go out and see them the mountains the the the, the beaches the stars like and again you know roman addresses this you know that uh, god has revealed himself in general revelation through nature and but uh it, it, it was great it was great to have daniel darling uh, for our listeners like we barely touched on the book you're probably like oh man I, I i i listen to the podcast i'm good like no like there's so much more there please please go get the book okay you are going to be blessed for sure um Please don't forget to follow us on Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And like we always like to end the show, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Till next week. Out. Teddy Daniels. (laughs) 